0: Have you ever been in a situation where you committed to do something, but when the time came to fulfill that commitment, you weren't so motivated, you really didn't want to do it anymore. And so as that time crept forward, uh, you kept looking for a reason not to do what you'd previously committed to do. Uh, I know I have. So maybe maybe it's been something like a diet or an exercise program at the start of the year. You committed. But then you gradually fade away as the commitment uh, keeps calling your name. Um, You had other things going on. Uh, It just didn't seem as important, maybe anymore. Um, Maybe it wasn't diet or exercise. Maybe it was small group. Um, I know, even for me, as I lead small groups, there are some nights I just don't want to be there. But I committed to come, I committed to lead. And so when the time comes to fulfill that commitment, as that time creeps up closer and closer, it's tempting to look for a way out. Uh, Maybe you'd schedule the time to get with a friend, and that sounded great two weeks ago when you made those plans. But with the week that you've had, with the lack of sleep that you've gotten, you'd, you'd honestly rather not get out. And so we've all been there. We've all felt that pull to back out of commitments been tempted to not carry through with it. And that's what's happening in our passage that we're going to look at today and the context around it. Paul was challenging the Corinthians, hey, you made a commitment to give a financial gift, and now he's saying it's time to prove it. You're you're looking, Paul's like, Paul's being preemptive. He's saying, I know that you're looking around for reasons to not fulfill your commitment, and uh, there's no reason. This is a commitment that you should fulfill. And so before we talk about fulfilling commitments, I do want to have a disclaimer. I'm not saying that there's never a time to change plans. Because if, you re- if you've been here since the start, you've seen in chapter one, Paul changed his plans. And he, ha- he gave his reasons for changing a plan, his plans. So again, I'm not saying that it's always wrong to change plans but I am saying that our lives should be marked by faithfulness. So, sorry, John, if you're following me in the slides, I just skipped a little bit. But, uh, so, we're going I'll, to, I'll, I'll, I'll do that again, John. But, so I just want to give you that disclaimer. It's not always wrong to change your plans, but our lives should be marked by faithfulness and not flakiness, so last week, Andrew preached, and you saw this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, where Paul wrote, he said, last year, you Corinthians were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So they'd, they'd made this commitment, and they started. It's like they, they, they made the commitment to exercise at the Y, and they got the membership, and they started going, but now he's saying, finish the work. So that your willingness, your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion. You wouldn't just talk the talk, but you'd walk the walk. You would do what you said you would do. And so, like I said, Paul in our passage today, he is preemptively dismantling all potential reasons why they might not do what they said that they would do. And Paul is being a really good accountability partner. He's being a really good friend. So a good friend, if you made that uh, resolution to work out, a good friend wouldn't say, oh, you're a failure because you didn't work out this week, you didn't fulfill your commitment, or how dare you think that you don't have time to work out? Don't you have five minutes to run up and down your stairs or to do push-ups and sit-ups? No, a good friend would say, okay, you haven't done it yet. We both know that there's a root cause to all of your actions, so why? What's your reasons? Are your reasons good? Okay, let's change our thinking so that we can change our actions, change our lives. And so here, here's the reason that Paul is anticipating the Corinthians are thanking for why they didn't do what they said they would do, why they didn't complete uh, the work of giving this gift to the, the, the needy and hurting church in Jerusalem. Their, their potential excuse, their reason was, can we trust these guys? I mean, if we give them our money, can we trust them? Should we trust them? So again, now, now I'm back on, on cue, John. Thanks for bearing with me. Uh, so again, I'm not saying that there's never a, ch- a time to change plans, but I am saying our lives should be marked by faithfulness And not flakiness. We should be able to be people who can be counted on. And I think that's what Paul is getting at with this passage. We should, whatever we show ourselves to be reliable in, that's what's really most important to us. Those are the things we prioritize the highest. And this is not an easy way to live. Flakiness is an easy way to live because you're always right. (laughs) Oh, I don't have time. Uh, I'm right. I don't don't really want to right now. I'm right. If flakiness is your mode of operation, you're always right. But faithfulness is when Jesus dictates our priorities. That's a hard way to live, but it's worth it and it's possible. So, when we make commitments, we can fulfill them. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to do. And he's saying, I know you have questions of whether you can trust these guys or not, but you shouldn't. They're totally trustworthy. So that's all the build-up, so that hopefully we can understand this passage more clearly as we read it this first time. We'll go back through, but I'd encourage you, uh, always encourage you to open up God's word for yourself and... If you can't track with anything that I say, at least you can reread it multiple times during the next 20 minutes and uh, get something out of that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 through 24. Paul writes, and it's on the screen. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. We've sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this generous gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is diligent. And now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and coworker among you. As for our brother's, they are representatives of the churches and a glory to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. So again, based on the context, it sure seems to me like the Corinthians, that they would made this commitment and like their potential excuse that Paul is preemptively dismantling, he's He's getting ahead of them before they ask the question, can we trust these guys with our money? And Paul's answer is absolutely. Titus, the famous brother in the gospel, the, 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 the diligent brother, the really, really diligent brother, they can all be trusted. We're, we're, making, we're, we're taking pains to do what's right before God and man. So that's, that's the summary of, of this passage. Is, yeah, you can trust them. Therefore, do what you said you'd do. Fulfill your commitment. And to, to me, and maybe to you, it makes me ask the question why wouldn't the Corinthians just trust them? I mean, Paul planted this church. Why why wouldn't they just have this implicit trust? And I think one reason, based on the context, is this is a generous gift. A big deal calls for big trust. But in addition to that, as we've read and as we'll continue to find as we read this letter, there's likely a temptation to distrust Paul because there are other people asking for their trust. There's a group that Paul refers to as the super apostles, which inclined the Corinthians to really question Paul's trustworthiness, Paul's leadership. See, much of the book, it highlights Paul's humility and his lack of what the world would deem success. And in contrast, it, it contrasts it. Now we're getting in the later part of the book, and we're going to see this contrast with the super apostles, this group that is trying to really take the Corinthian church away from Christ and from Paul, and, and, uh, and, and for them to be the leaders, these super apostles, they appear successful in the world's eyes. And before you think, oh, this is petty infighting, like it, Paul just wants to be the main guy and these guys just want to be the main guy, they're both wrong. Um, that's not the way that Paul shapes it up. In fact, in Philippians 1, Paul shows us his heart and he says, even if Christ is preached from selfish or false motives, I rejoice that he's, pre- he's preached. So this isn't a petty fight. This is actually uh, a battle for the hearts and minds of this church. And and we see that in chapter 11, verse 13 of 2 Corinthians, when Paul calls these super apostles, false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, even the devil masquerades or he... He, he walks around like he's an angel of light. So it's, it's a serious thing. It's not petty infighting. This is, this is a core issue. And so, again, in order to understand this, chat, this verse, or this passage we just read, we have to understand it in light of the whole book. And Paul, this whole book is best summarized in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, when Paul says, all this time, this is at the end of the letter, he says, everything I wrote to you, you probably think that I've been defending myself. Actually, it's before God, we've been telling you about Jesus for your, for your good. So it's basically, we're telling you how Jesus and the gospel applies to this situation. And it sounds like I'm defending myself, but really, I'm encouraging you in the way of Christ. And so... The super apostles' claim was that they were superior to Paul. You should trust us because we're better than him. And I think, again, based on context, I think one of their evidences that we are, in fact, better than Paul is we will take your money. And you get what you pay for is, is kind of their argument. Like, Paul... He says in this book, I didn't take your money when I planted this church. Even though Paul in his teaching, if you read the whole New Testament, he, um, he says the worker is worth his wages. You can pay your leaders and it's good. It's, it's okay. It's allowed and it's valued. But sometimes Paul just served people in order to serve them. And, and that's what he did here in, in Corinth. But the super apostles' argument said, you get what you pay for. And I'm sure Paul meant well when he started this church and he didn't charge you anything. But now if you really want to grow, if you really want the good stuff, you're going to need us and we're not cheap. But remember, you get what you pay for. And so that, that kind of brings some more color out of 2 Corinthians 2, 17, when Paul says, we're not like many, peddling the word of God, selling the word of God. Paul's not saying it's wrong to pay your pastors and ministry leaders, but he's saying it's wrong when they're in it for the money. It's wrong when they're not leading you towards Christ. So, so it, it looks like the super apostles are trying to prove their superiority and they're pointing to finances as a way of doing that. And how that connects back to our passage is I think, I mean, it makes sense that if the super apostles are trying to hijack this church from Christ and from Paul, the last thing they would want to do is see finances given. Why? Because it could be ours. Give me, give me, I'm worth it. The band Fifth Harmony had this hit song. Yeah, I see it. A couple of you know. That's the super apostles' motto. Gimme, gimme, I'm worth it. Uh Uh-huh, I'm worth it. Gimme, gimme. Super apostles. And Paul, his song would be, give it, give it. You said you would. You, You committed to it. Give it. Give it. And then Paul says, all those potential reasons you have to not give it, Like the people that you're giving it to, you don't trust them because these guys who say, gimme, gimme, you're starting to trust them? Well, look at Titus. He cares about you. Not only did I tell Titus to go, but Titus told me, I'm going (laughs) because I care about the Corinthians. And the guy who is famous in the gospel to everybody, we're sending him too. In fact, he was chosen by the churches for this task. And rounding out our team, I'm paraphrasing, rounding out, the team that's going to accept this gift and deliver this gift is a guy who's super diligent. Like you give him a task, he'll do it. He is diligent. And, and what an what awesome commendation in verse 23 when Paul says this team is a glory to Christ. What if that was said of your family, of your small group? What an incredible encouragement. This team is a glory To the glorious one, to Christ. And so Paul says, I'm sharing all this not to twist your arm, but to show that you can trust us with this financial gift. Verse 21 we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of God, but also in the eyes of man. In that verse, Paul is just being incredibly transparent. And I don't know if you've been in a situation where you've had to follow leadership that's not transparent. I texted a friend uh, recently, and he told me about some drama going on at work, and basically at the core of all the dramas, leadership wasn't being transparent. And so it's really hard to follow. And that's not ideal. Sometimes we have to follow leadership that's not transparent, but it's all, the best relationship is when leadership is transparent and followers trust the, leader, the leadership and everyone thrives in that relationship. And so a quick application from that is as a Christ follower, you are called to lead others. You're called to lead others, but nobody has to follow you. Nobody has to follow you. And so how can you lead others when you don't have something that you can twist their arm to get them to follow you? Jesus didn't twist anybody's arm. He invited them. They came and followed him. So I'd say walk with Jesus. Spend time around him. Daily time in prayer and scripture. And other people, not a whole lot, maybe just a few, but they'll start following you. Love other people and be teachable, be transparent. And not everyone will follow you, but some people will. And that's exactly what Paul is doing throughout this whole book. He's inviting the Corinthians to follow him in his own weakness as he follows Christ. He's not saying follow me because I'm strong and powerful like these guys, the super apostles claim to be, but follow me as I follow Christ. I'm weak, but in him I'm strong. And then after giving this defense in verses 16 through 23, he concludes with a charge, a command, a therefore in verse 24. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love. Show them the reason that we're so proud of you so that the churches, this, this collective effort to bless the church in Jerusalem, everybody who's heard about your commitment can see it. They don't just hear about it, but they see it. And he's saying, I mean, if I had to summarize this passage, he's saying, in light of the trustworthiness of all these men, fulfill your commitment. Give, do what you said you'd do. Be a faithful person, not a flaky person. Paul's saying it's all set up to finish what you started. There's no more excuses. You can keep looking, but they're not there. Now we're waiting for you to prove your love. And so let's turn to some applications for us today. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, be marked by faithfulness, not flakiness. Sorry, John, I think I forgot to highlight that one too but you, you guys are good. Um, and I think part of being marked by faithfulness is make your commitments carefully. Uh, it's easy to overcommit. And so and, and understand if you ask someone for something and uh, they say, I don't know, <laughs> or they give you their thinking face. Rose says, I have a thinking face. Um And I give it to people, I think, a lot when they ask me for things because, I don't know, I'll check. Um, But we're all going to be faithful to something. And just make sure that something is not yourself. That's a path to misery. That's, That's a life of flakiness. So it's better to choose it ahead of time, to decide and then live decided. That's intention. That's what diligence is just like the guy who doesn't have a name on Paul's team, but he's super diligent. And I just encourage you to resolve to be a person like that. It's not natural, but it does take intentional effort, but it's worth it. Another application is find someone you can trust to help keep you faithful. Because it's not natural, we need people like Paul. We need friends Not accountability partners that beat us up, but friends that encourage us to stay faithful. And as you grow and as you struggle, make it your ambition to be a friend, to help someone else grow. Just like Jake said during announcements, it's disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We're not just called to consume, we're called to consume in order to give, to receive in order to give. So being faithful yourself, that's, the, that's step one <laughs> to helping someone else be faithful. And then the final, well, actually, the second to last application is to be transparent, just like Paul was. We're taking pains, we're doing everything we can to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And as I read this passage and reflected on it, I was really struck by Paul's, Transparent leadership. And, and specifically, this passage deals with finances and it deals with the people, the leaders, that the finances are entrusted to. And so uh, I just sensed God leading me to share with you a picture of Orchard's finances and our leadership uh, when we started the church. This is just a quick story, but our first budget it was like, well, we'll break even if we're, like, good for, but it, you know, if everything works, we'll break even at this, like, bare minimum budget. And God provided finances above and beyond what we expected. Um, and so I, if you want a, a picture, that, like, if you're a numbers or paper person, there's some papers up here on the front row. Come and get it um, after the service. And if they're all gone, I'm happy to email Uh, to everyone whose email I have and if you want to be on the church wide emails we don't send out a lot but just on a slip of paper put your name email and send it back to the sound booth Uh, John who's my right hand man in this service apparently mentioned him like four times now so and it doesn't even have to be given to a person I'll pick it up on the way out but that stuff's available and it will continue to be available on a yearly basis I haven't done it, because it doesn't normally fit into our worship, Uh, but it really fits today. So it's available. Uh, You can ask me questions. I might not know the answer, because I don't spend a lot of time focusing on that. Um, Try to spend more time focusing on where God's calling us, and being faithful there, and trusting that he'll give us everything we need uh, to do that. And then, more importantly than the money, (laughs) You still with me? Okay, good. More importantly than the money, God has provided leaders who have made my job a joy. And I've acknowledged and commended our small group leaders to you multiple times. Um, but I haven't gotten to do that with the elders. So Jake, Jordan, and Todd, I think you all are in here. Would you guys stand? Oh, Jordan's downstairs again. Uh, so Jordan's downstairs, uh, but just like Paul commended Titus, the diligent brother, and the famous and the gospel brother, I just commend these three men to you, uh, and they have this position of helping me shepherd this church because they've demonstrated over years of close relationship the characteristics that God's outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as the characteristics necessary for an elder. Um, so, yeah, I just commend them to you, and they've been a great encouragement to me. I'm grateful for them. And so, yeah, you guys can sit down. Thanks. Uh, and and God is raising up many other leaders. Uh, we pray when we get together that it would never just be us in those elder roles. I, I expect in two years, some of those guys will take a break. They won't be kicked off, but... Uh, it's important to take a break and rotate. And so that's, that's who's running, or not running, Jesus is running this church. We're the under shepherds is really how this church operates. So uh, not a normal worship service today. If you're new here, this isn't normal. But what is normal is applying God's word to our lives. That's how we are changed. And so that fits right in with the last application point. It's to respond. Paul doesn't just give a defense, but he says, therefore, do something. Therefore, show them the proof of your love. Fulfill the right commitments. Break the commitments that aren't worth fulfilling. Just break them. But when you know what God is calling you to do, do it. And if you don't know what God's calling you to do, I've got it for you. And I'm actually being serious. (laughs) You should normally suspect when people... And, and so you can suspect me, honestly. But I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life. A love relationship with him. Not a job, not a task. Love relationship with God is your highest and first calling. Focus on that. You'll get clarity where you need it elsewhere, where you need it when you need it. But always focus on the love relationship first. And we obey. We do what we do out of our love for him. And so, remember, we we started talking about all those different commitments, how easy it is to break commitments. I just want to end by reminding us why real life change is possible, the deepest kind of life change. It's because Jesus had all the right commitments. He had all the right priorities. And he fulfilled them perfectly. Even when he was tempted in every way, just as we are, But he did not sin. He kept and fulfilled perfectly the right commitments. And when he died, it was an undeserving death, a gruesome death that he did not deserve on the cross. And in that death, he became sin for us. He took on all of our flakiness and he gave, he imputed to us all of his righteousness, all of his faithfulness. And he rose to life giving us right relationship with God that we can grow into his likeness in this life and that one day we'll be perfect. And we look forward to that. But if you want to be more faithful now, hang out with Jesus and spend the rest of your life intentionally fulfilling that top and highest commitment to live and to die for him. Let's pray together. As we pray, uh, think about the past week, the past month maybe. And just be honest with God about what your actions, maybe what your schedule has shown you're committed to right now. If God's Spirit is showing you areas you've been flaky to God or in relationship with other people, just confess that. Know that you're forgiven because of the cross. And be really transparent with God uh, and invite someone you trust into your life to be transparent with them. God, we ask that you would change us and that you would bring about change through us. We know it's normally a long and slow process and that no matter how fast it seems to go, it's a lifelong process, but it really can happen. We just take this time to surrender our commitments and our priorities to you.